So when we left off the previous session, I was trying to explain to you some of the hallmark features of the tasawwuf of the ulama shayukh, of ulama hind, ulama deoban, and especially the understanding of Shaykh Rashid Amagangori Ramtale, Shaykh Rashafali Tanvi Ramtale, coupled with the understanding of the leading Naqshabani Mashaykh from Imam Rabani Ramtale, Shah Ghulam Ali Dehli Ramtale, Malafaz Rahman Gandhamad Abadi Ramtale, and Shah Abdul Ghani Dehli Ramtale, and some others. Just don't worry so much about the names. So I told you about their understanding of Islah, of Zikr, of Sheikh, of Bidah, and I ended on two words, Itadal and Ihtiyat. So I want to explain this a bit more. Itadal means that everything should be kept in its proper perspective, in its proper priority. Nothing should be overemphasized, nothing should be underemphasized. And I could tell you that's a very difficult thing to figure out. And it's easier for us, especially in the matter of Itadal, that we do knuckle, that we simply follow them. And trust these more senior ulama and shayukh that whatever they have emphasized, to whatever extent they have emphasized it, for us to simply follow that. And whatever apparently they may have given a bit less relative emphasis to, for us to follow them in that. When you start playing with it, you start playing with the knob, and you start thinking, should something be more intense, less intense, then it gets hard to figure that out. The second word was ihtiyat, and that is what I had explained to you. That I explained to you in detail to remain aware and to always be wary and to always be cautious and to always be careful against any type of hulu or any type of excess, any type of bida, any such thing like that. Alright, now I'm going to show you Etadal in Etadal and Etadal in Etadal. <laughs> now when you bring these two things together, so for example, it's very important, some people they overdo Etadal itself, means they're so careful, so cautious, maybe you could even say so orthodox, ultra-orthodox, ultra-conservative, then there's certain beneficial things in Deen that they miss out on. So you have to have Etadal in your Etadal. Right? That is a bit more, even more tricky. And sometimes different muftis of Sharia will have different opinions. So, for example, not to pick on our friend here, but different ulama have different views that should women pray tarawih salah or not. So, some feel no, they must stay in their home and they should not go for salat of tarawih. Some feel no, it's okay if there's no fitna and especially if they're being accompanied driven by their husband or son or coming as a family, they can come. Some say even no, even if they come as a family, even if they come as a husband, even then they can't come. So you will find different views amongst muftis. And many times, especially when sometimes we get a bit of a shock and we found out some things, maybe we're not against Sharia, so we also get a bit extra conservative. So there's a range here. There's a range. And not always, again, there's not one single position, not one single understanding. So here you have two 
three options. Number one, you can pick maybe one or one or two muftis who you feel more confident and comfortable in their position. But if there's somebody, another mufti who has a position with an acceptable range and spectrum of sharia, you shouldn't view the other one as wrong. Or if another person subscribes to that position, you shouldn't view them as wrong. Alright? Or you may leave it up to your sheikh. This, can, this has its own benefits, but it also has its own dangers. Right? Or you may even try in yourself. Because sometimes your heart, if your heart doesn't feel content with something, then it's probably better to go for the more conservative position than that. If your heart feels content with something and you don't feel that there's any danger, then maybe you could go with that. So there's a range here, but, and it's not easy to figure out. But the general principle I should give you is you must have itadal in your ihtiyat. Right? You must not be too rigid. But you cannot be too flexible. I'll give you another example, because I don't want to take name, but a very famous... Let's say Alam in Tablighi Jamaat in Pakistan Sometimes he goes and he gives lectures And sometimes there's now He's done it more recently in the past few years Sometimes it's on TV Sometimes there are men and women Even sitting together But because he's going to them on their turf He's doing outreach He's trying to reach them It might be a university or it might be civil servants It might be some institution Some people object to that and say No, he shouldn't go Right? So the different ranges, different views Okay. Anyway, I can just tell you you must have ittidal in your ihtiyat. Right? And then the other one is you must have ihtiyat in your ittidal. <laughs> Allah Akbar. Don't be so balanced that you don't become weary anymore. <laughs> so you, in the name of balance, the name of outreach, you must be still sometimes weary and cautious. So I can tell you at a personal level the way I try to resolve this because sometimes I even ask some of my teachers they give me different positions I consult different mufis they give me different positions some feel this is acceptable some say it's not acceptable so what I try to do is I try to mix sometimes I try to take a position that is more strict even though I feel maybe there would have been some benefit and other times I will try to let that benefit occur as long as nothing happens against Syria. So I try to mix it. But nobody can claim they have the perfect mix. Nobody can claim they have perfect itadal, perfect ithiyat, perfect itadal and ithiyat, perfect ithiyat and itadal. It's a range. Alright? Uh, but if a person has ikhlas, they're sincere. If a person fears Allah SWT, and if a person keeps consulting their elders, then this is a formula that most times it will lead to success. And we have seen the people who fail, it's because they don't consult elders. Maybe they don't even view anybody as elders of them. So they stop asking. They don't consult ulama and muftis. They think they can research it on their own. Hmm? So these are normally the people who aren't able to get the mix right. And if a person does consult ulama, muftiyan ikram, elders, and has a class, and sometimes takes the careful position anyway, more, most of the time they're able to stay in safe protected area now this brings me then to I told you I would talk to you about contemporary 2017 and I told you that in the English speaking world we have the people of the Sowa from this group of Ulama Hind, Nakshamandi, Chishti, Diyubandi then you have different shiuch from Shadali and different shiuch from Ba'alawi known as Habai so I will mention some few differences even there so that we can understand what are the particular features of our particular way of understanding the Sufa. So 
So one issue which is often brought up, and I'm not going to do it in any great depth, is this notion of molid. That can you have a gathering to commemorate or celebrate or to honor the birth of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu Right? And you will find different great imams such as Jalaluddin Asyuti Rahimullah who felt this was permissible and you will find a lot of other early medieval jurists or late medieval rather jurists who allowed for this permissibility so you cannot say it's 100% guaranteed not okay right here this was a matter that the ulama Deoband and also Mashaikh and Naqshiband felt that no we should do ihtiyat over here so Sheikh Mr. Hindi Namtaylan he actually wrote in a letter in one of his letters that a person should not hold or participate in such gatherings, right? And that was the position of Shaykh Shaykh Ali Tanvi, Shaykh Rishid Ahmed, as well. Why? Because what they saw is that in a lot of the gatherings, and then they saw increasingly more and more and more in the gatherings, there were some things that were done that went incorrect. I'll give you an example of one thing I saw once with my own eyes, that the person... <laughs> He had uh, just like a room like this So there was the prayer mat where the Imam was going to lead Then he put a second prayer mat next to him a little bit forward Claiming that Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu was going to lead him In two man salah And he was going to read everybody else in uh, salah and jama'ah so This is a problem Then there are some to you Even one quite famous and popular one He even comes here uh, There's a YouTube video of him that somebody sent me you know, when you're mufti, you get all types of questions, and people say, Shay, look at this video, what is the ruling on this, and look at this website, and what is the ruling on that, and look at this, and that, and Allah Akbar. So he's sitting, and he's, you know, with addressing an audience, and all of a sudden he stands up. And he stands up, and he claims that Sayyidina Rasulullah, Wasallam has entered into that gathering. Right? So this is something that we feel... Uh, very strongly is not the correct Akidah. So there's not, I mean to be very clear, I'm not talking about acceptable range. I'm talking about something that is not acceptable. So this is one thing that Alhamdulillah, these ulama of Hind, ulama of Deoban, Mashaik, Naqshuban, Mashaik, just of that area, were very firm on their Akidah. That we love Sayyidina Rasulullah, Sallallahu We love to make salawat, faith, commemorate his life, his sirah, his sunnah. However, about him himself Akida number one He is in Medina Manora At the Rosai Anwar His ruh and his body both are there And they are always there They don't travel The Prophet does not enter a gathering Right? Then a belief that Most of the Shadli and Habayb also have Is that when you recite Salawat What they say Persian or the Drujrif that again, they say that the Prophet Ru comes to that gathering, so they stand up out of respect. Whereas we know from authentic hadith that the Prophet said clearly that that person who offers salah and salam to me at my roza, I will hear it directly. And if they offer it anywhere else, the angels will bring it to me. It's something that's already been clearly taught to us by none other than. Sayyidina Rasulullah himself He's saying the angels will bring it to me And they say no, the Prophet comes to us And if you think about what is greater adab 
What is the other that I sit right now and I recite the Rishri from the Prophet and leaves Medina Manawra, his ru and his ru comes here to Oslo to hear my little Rishri when there are thousands of people lining up to say salam to him in Medina Manawra. Allah Akbar Kamira. So it's strange. Right? So this is also one major difference. Okay? And so because increasingly the gatherings of Molid were having these beliefs, these types of practices. There's one place in Pakistan that they prepare food and they leave the food there in Rabbi Lava. And they say the Prophet was going to come and eat it. And sure enough, the next day it's gone. So when they brought me that, I said, look, just install surveillance camera and you will see who comes and eats the food. <laughs> yes, yes, very simple. And if you install surveillance camera and it shows that the food is miraculously disappearing, then you ask me a question, then I'll consider it as worthy of my time to issue fatwa. First put the camera, you will get your answer right there. Who is the food? Yes. Right? So, there are all types of things that were happening. Now, somebody asks the question and says, okay, what if there is a gathering on Molid where none of these incorrect practices are there? <coughs> none of these incorrect beliefs are there? That people just come and they sit and maybe they have a few lectures on the life of the Prophet wasallam, few lectures to inspire us with love for the Prophet wasallam, some recited poetry, that's permissible, even according to this tradition of Ulama Masaik. You can call it Naat, Nasheed, some recited, melodiously recited poetry in love or in praise or sending salutations on the Prophet wasallam. So we say, okay, all of these things are acceptable. And if you said that there was no wrong practice, no wrong belief, that was acceptable. But then there's only one question that remains, that you specify the date of 12th Rabi'ul Awwal. Now, if you think that that date in particular is better than any other day for such an event, otherwise the whole event was fine. Lectures, poetry, recitals, love for Prophet praise of Prophet all of that was fine. But if you think that having it on this day is somehow more special or better than any other day, that itself is a problem. Because remember what I told you in the earlier session, ihtimam and iltizam. So that means you're doing iltizam, you think it is lazim, you think it is somehow a strong preference or maybe necessary to have it on the 12th, so that itself is a problem. Okay, let's say somebody says, look, okay, we don't do it on the 12th. We don't do it on the 12th. So we change the date. The gathering has none of the wrong beliefs and none of the wrong practices you said. It just has the lecture, recital, poetry, salawat. I said, okay, what is the month? They say, we do it only in Rabi al-Awwal. I said, but why only in this month? Allah Akbar. Then we can maybe do a little bit soft if they say in the answer, well, we don't do it in this month because we think there's anything special, more special about this month. But we do it in this month because most of the people are more interested in this topic in the month. So we say, okay, maybe you can do that then. Right? And some of these ulama, mashayikh, then they actually, especially in fact to invite people away from the incorrect person. That's another purpose in Sharia. So a lot of the ulama, mashayikh, from this understanding, they have Sirat Nabi program, they have Ittabai Sunnat program, they have Salawat, Dhrutri program, in this very same month, so that people come to those gatherings. Alright? And again, you will find some who are more strict and they say you cannot do it at all in that month. Okay? But this is one issue of differences the molded. 
One thing I think that's very important, which I have observed, because I've met a lot of these shiuch and their students from these other groups contemporary today. One thing I definitely feel is they overemphasize the moment, which is one thing I feel is very important, that you not give something more of an importance than it is. And then what happened in the Arab world, between the Salafis and the Sunnis, they made this the defining issue. So if you don't attend Maulid, you're not Sunni. But that's it, that's how they defined it, that you must be a Salafi. And so this was a wrong thing, they should not have made this the defining issue. And then because genuine people wanted to assert their Sunni identity, so they became even more regular and more insistent on Maulid. And that's a problem, uh, because that has nothing to do with your Sunni identity. Right? So this is one example of one matter that is different. A second matter that is different, and I know that in European countries this is difficult, but I'm going to explain it anyway. With the understanding fully that not every woman will be able to follow this in practice, but at least we must know our theory. And that is the level of hijab of the woman. Right? So, and in fact, if you look, there's a very good article on the web about Shafi Madhab. That in the Shafi Madhab, the real position is that a woman should cover her face. And in the Hanafi Madhab as well. Now, obviously, women are different stages in development. Sometimes a woman, she just came near to Deen. Maybe then gradually she will cover her hair. Then she will come stronger in Deen. Then she will wear the cloak known as Jilbab or Abaya or something. Then she will become stronger in Deen. Then she may cover her face sometimes and not sometimes. Then she might become stronger in Deen. Then she might try to cover her face more of the time. There might be a woman who is living in a country where covering your face is not allowed. There might be a woman who lives in a country where covering your face is allowed but she feels too scared to do it. There are all these things that are there. So I'm not talking about the practice. I'm just talking about the theory. Because some of these other groups say very openly that there's absolutely no concept at all of niqab and there's absolutely no preference even for niqab. Right? So that is a big difference. And again, as I told you in the morning, this is not some Indian thing which they like to make it sound. You can trace this back to classical Arabic scholars, Central Asian scholars, Persian scholars. You can have a... Con every generation I can find you ulama. And every generation from the past 1300 years who have taken this position. Alright? Related to that is generally the type of structure of gatherings. So for example, many, not always, but most of the Shadali and Habib uh, understandings is that women can sometimes in their gatherings they are in the same room but in the back or sometimes in the same room and left, right and there's not a partition. And sometimes they do have some type of partition. Right? And in this understanding, which is the more classical one, uh, the ulama, shayukh, hin, nakshaban, shish, is that the women must always be in some type of separate partition. They could be in the same room as long as there's an absolute, <coughs> any non-see-through curtain, divider, partition. They could be in a different room, like we have been today. Right? But to have them in the same room, even if they're behind, that is not acceptable. Right? Uh, so a certain, let's say, more authentic position about gender segregation, right? About gender segregation or gender separation. Uh, so these are just two, three examples of certain practices. Uh, and you know, and again, some groups generally, and, and this has been a problem in some of the Tassos of Deoband as well, 
some groups fall more into the thing I mentioned to you earlier about personality worship, cult behavior, and that has to be guarded against by everybody. Uh, one reason I think people do this is actually what happens, a lot of us in the West, or who are raised in the West, who now live in the West, we came to the Sawwuf out of this deep desire to try to make ourselves better to Allah Subhanahu wa and we wanted an ideal type. And that's why we love to talk about Imam And we wish there was some ideal type like that alive today. And so if we find somebody who we do like as a scholar, as a sheikh, it's a natural tendency to idealize them. Right? To a limited extent, that could be even beneficial, because obviously you need to have love and respect and authority and trust. But if you take it too far, you have to realize very openly that in this day and age, there is no Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jalal Namtana. I'm sorry. Allah Akbar. Kabira. And to give you an example, there was a Sheikh of Shad, interestingly, of the Shadli Sultana. His name was Sidi Ahmad Zaruk Rimalatana. And he lived about to, if I'm not mistaken, about 300 odd years ago, roughly. Right? He wrote in one of his works that the age of Kamilin is finished. There are no more Kamilin. Kamil Shiyukh, Kamil Oliya. And then he actually wrote, because there used to be a saying that some people used to have in Tasawwuf, in Arabic, it, the, the expression is Kalmayyati Fiyadil Ghassal, that the person should be with their Shaykh the way a corpse is with the person who does the ritual bathing of the corpse means you should submit entirely to your shaykh so he actually writes that you can no longer do that anymore because there are no kamal shaykh so what does it mean if there was a shaykh like shaykh we would put so much authority in him and whatever he said we would do it right and even then it didn't mean against sharia there's no question and there's nobody who is that kamal that you submit to them in that sense right what it means is now we have to have more balance. We need to have ulama, shiuch, both, right? So this is uh, one of the things that is also important. Now, related to that is, well, okay, maybe before I do that, let me first take some of the things that I've done. Okay, actually, there, there are some other things, but I'll come to that later, and maybe i come to that tomorrow. So now I want to talk to you about practice and zikr. Because it's important to me because I want to explain that And I also want that in this today also And then tomorrow we should also individually do some ibadat and zikr It should not be that we just come for two days And it's just lecture after lecture after lecture and questions, right? So because today is, you know, already mashallah quite a bit has taken place So I want to shift now away from history and theory And talk to you about practice And outline some practices so we can begin that amal Today also and we can do some practical ibadat Alright, so here I admit, this is now the part where I mentioned to you about that there is sometimes structured zikr and there is unstructured zikr. <coughs> there are different types of zikr. The question obviously a person has, okay, what type of zikr should I do? Right? And you will find that there's a large choice. There's so many asghar. So this is actually one area why it is beneficial to have a shaykh and a tariqa because sometimes you need somebody who gives you a road map on what zikr and how much zikr to do. So I'll give you an example from a non-religious field. There's so many books in economics. 
Right? So many. You could go to a library and you would find thousands of books on economics. So there's a person who says, no, I want to understand economics. So he doesn't know what to do because there's so many books. And all the books are fine. They're all written by economists. So what he needs is a teacher and he needs a syllabus. And he trusts that teacher because the teacher knows economics that the teacher can design a syllabus for him, a curricular for him. It doesn't mean that when the teacher designs that curriculum, all the other books are negated. You go to any university, Harvard, Oxford, there will be some <coughs> curriculum. It doesn't mean that, that what book is not on that syllabus is not correct. It just means that there could have been many syllabi, many ways to do this. This teacher picked this one particular way, and as long as you go through that syllabus as taught by that teacher, you will get that knowledge of economics. There will be others at other universities who go through a bit of a different syllabus, taught by different teachers, but they will also end up with the knowledge of economics. Okay? So, Azkar, when it comes to Nawafid, the Faraid about everybody has to do that set. The Wajibat, even the Sunnahs. Even with the Sunnah Muqadah, the optional Sunnahs are very also wide range. For example, Imam al among others, he gathered the Sunnah Dhikr in a book it's called Kitab al-Adkar. It's been translated into English now and published by our friend, maybe Taras or White Thread, I can't remember. Right? You'll find there's so many optionals, there's so many du'as, so many ones. So many different formulas to recite, so many adhkar. So, because these mashayikh were masters of this field, just like if a person is a master of economics, they could make smaller syllabi that had the effectiveness for a person. So that's one reason why it's beneficial, not farad, but it's beneficial to have a shaykh and tariqah to help us have a systematic structured approach to the optional adhkar. Alright? Then, what is the difference between the different azkar? So, one is individual zikr and one is collective zikr. So, I'll talk about collective zikr at the end. So, that's also a question. Can, is there anything called group zikr? Can you do group zikr? Right? And then the same thing, we have to look at everything there. How important is the group zikr? Are we overemphasizing it? Are we underemphasizing it? Right? What is the relative role and priority that should be given? What is the itadal in group zikr? Are there any, what's the balance in group zikr? Is there any ihtiyat, any precautions we should have in group zikr? Alright? Before I do that, I want to first do individual zikr. So yes, there are different individual zikr. Broadly speaking, there are two types of zikr. One is that zikr that is mentioned anywhere in the sunnah. And second, I will just call it additional zikr. Sometimes I call the first one nabubi zikr. And the second is the zikr of the uliya. Alright. Why would you need additional zikr? This is something I explained in detail on that workshop on Vida, where I gave you the example of dua. And there are some duas that the Prophet asked, but then there are additional duas that you will make yourself in your own language that are not from the sunnah. Right? And even the imams of Haraman, when they recite with her, and they make dua kunut, they make the dua that the Prophet made, and then they will go on and on. You can see it on YouTube with millions of hits. They make so many duas in Arabic that the Prophet never ever made. Alright? Okay. So here the first thing is that when you go to the Sunnah Zikr, like I told you, there's a whole range. So one benefit of the Shaykh and Tariqat is that they will select some major core important <coughs> selected Sunnah Zikr for you to do. Then they might change it over time. Second, then they will add some additional zikr to do, and they can also change that over time. Alright? So now I will tell you, 
the prescription of zikr that we follow and we are teaching. <coughs> Although, okay, but, but the Oliya zikr. Tisti Sussala would do a bit different zikr. Naksimali Sussala would do a different zikr. So the different Oliya, Qadri Sussala has some different adhkar, right? All of them are just methods for the same goal. The purpose of additional zikr was not reward in of itself. The purpose of the additional zikr was to give us an additional capacity to remember Allah Ta'ala. Extra help. Because the person who in their farz ibadah can't remember Allah Ta'ala, they won't be able to remember Allah Ta'ala in the sunnah zikr. So they need an extra help on the remembrance part. So the purpose of all of the zikr, of all of the salas, of all of the awliya, is to increase the heart's ability to remember Allah Ta'ala. And like I told you before the break, when that heart ability is increased, then you don't need to do the additional zikr, and you go straight on to nawafil and focusing on the sunnah zikr. Alright? But that can take a long time. Another thing was that traditionally, the extra zikr was taught in a way that people would go and spend some time with the shaykh, Oftentimes it will be 40 days because that's also mentioned in the Hassan Hadith about Arbaeen that the person who spends 40 days for the sake of Allah that person who dedicates himself only to Allah Ta'ala and that could have many meanings for 40 days and Allah Ta'ala makes the springs of hikmah flow from his heart okay so there was a tradition Hadith which had mentioned of 40 days in Quran Kareem also there is mention of Nabi Musa Islam went for 30 days and 10 more days for a total of 40 days. But again, you cannot overemphasize this. It's quite possible to go to the Shaykh for 37 days and do better than the one who does 40 days. It's quite possible to go for 42 and a half days. Alright? So one does not overemphasize this. But classically, they would go to the Shaykh for some time. And by the way, classically it wasn't like that. Rigidly 40 days and 4 months. These were rough figures. People would go for some time. And mostly it would be when the shaykh would tell them, now you can go. When they were with the shaykh in that gathering, like an intensive, then they would do these extra askar a lot. Then they should not be done for five, seven, nine hours a day your whole life. But for a few months or a few weeks or a few months, they can be done like that as a training. Right? Like if somebody wants to learn Arabic, so if I send him to a summer Arabic intensive, where he does Arabic 10 hours a day, I'm not suggesting he should study Arabic 10 hours a day for his whole life. I'm saying for a few months he should do that, so that he gets the foundation. So normally these extra zikr were actually done like that. Then what happened was because over time people stopped going for such a long period, because dunya and they're working, and the corporate world, you get, what, two weeks off, four weeks off? Two to four weeks off is the vacation standard. Now, if you have two to four weeks off, you want to do some umrah also, you might save up for hajj also, you have family to visit also, you need to just rest also, you may have house renovation. How are you going to go for a few weeks and a few months to shave? So when the Messiah saw that, that people aren't able to come. But they still, again, the goal was more important than the means. So the goal was that people should be trained to be able to remember Allah Ta'ala. And they can't take that means anymore. Very few. So they changed the means. They said, okay, then what you do is you do it, stay in your home. Keep your routine. Along with your work, you should try to do the same zikr that ideally we would have trained you intensively in that. And then you wouldn't have to do it so much. But now you may have to do it for a few years. 
half an hour a day, one hour a day, two hours a day, roughly around that half an hour to two hours a day, not really more than that. And then you do that part-time, you do that for years. So then that was a different way they started training. Okay? Now, and then what's supposed to happen is as they see, what happens is you, you would basically train somebody with a little bit of zikr. I'm talking about the additional scar. I'm going to come back to the sunnah scar. And then when they get the hang of it and they seem to benefiting it, then you push them to do it a bit more and intensely. And if they succeed in that, then you're supposed to taper them off by making them do intense sunnah zikr. But the reality also, we also share with you, a lot of people don't reach that third stage. A lot of people don't reach it. A lot of people don't even do the second stage. Most people today in the Sova, if they are in the first stage, they start with a little zikr and they do it irregularly. There are very few people who take the zikr, do it regularly, then the shaykh gives them more, then they do more regularly, then he makes them do it intensely, and then they finally get the goal, and then he can taper them off and push them on intense on the zikr. So that's why your observation will be that most people are just spending their whole life doing this additional zikr. Okay? Now go back to the Sunnah Azkar. Why do I call it additional zikr? Because it must be done in addition to Sunnah Azkar. You must do the Sunnah Azkar. And in addition you do this. It's not that you're doing the additional zikr only and you leave the Sunnah Azkar. Alright? So what are the Sunnah Azkar? So this is like the beginning of the prescription. First zikr, Sunnah Zikr, is called Tilawat to Quran. As you should. Sunnah, I mean generally from the teachings of the text of Deen, from the Nasus, from the Quran and Sunnah that a person should have a practice of reciting Qur'an every day. Again, I'll give you another point, that you will not be able to benefit from the additional zikr if you don't do the transmitted zikr. So a person doesn't recite Qur'an all day and sits down and tries to make so many zikr as God that the shaykh taught them, they didn't have the base, they didn't have the foundation, right? And that's why as an example, sometimes when people they go on Umrah, they, and they start, because they have more time there. So they say, oh, the zikr benefited me so much. I said, there's a reason for that. Because in Umrah, you did the foundation. You were praying Salam Jamaah, you were going early, you were reciting Quran, you were making dua, you were doing all the sunnah of God. That's why you felt the benefit of the sunnah of God. And because when you're at home, you don't really doing the sunnah of God properly. So even if you sit down and try to do the additional zikr, it doesn't benefit you. And then you get frustrated. that I don't understand, it doesn't benefit you. So it's very important that the sunnah zikr should be given priority. Even at that stage, when the person is being trained in additional zikr, to learn how to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? So the first sunnah zikr is recitation of Qur'an. Daily recitation of Qur'an. I'll come back to amount a bit later. I'm just going to mention them to you. Daily recitation of Qur'an. Second is daily salawat. Durood. Salawat, salutation, salam on Nabi Kareem, Again, I will come up back to amount and formulas later. Third, the daily istighfar, seeking the forgiveness of Sayyidina Rasulullah, seeking the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, istighfar. Fourth is the sunnah du'as. Sunnah du'as. Some of the sunnah du'as are connected to a particular activity, like before eating, after eating. Other are some of the du'as that it's mentioned that Sayyidina was like the du'a he made of nur, different du'as that the Muslim is to make. So you should get an, and again I'll come back to books and ways and numbers and all of that. Sunnah du'as. Sunnah du'as. Fifth, there should be some element of sunnah prayers, nawafil. 
might be tahajjud, might be awadeen, might be salatul duha. Again, I will come back and explain number and steps. Right? Sixth, there should be some element of sunnah, nawas, and fasts. That is basically now you're getting an idea that in the entire Quran and Hadith, what are the extra ibadat that are mentioned? So these are the things you will find. Okay? I'll just repeat these six again quickly. Number one, Quran. Number two, Salawat, the retreat. Number three, Istikfar. Number four, Sunnah Duas. Or, or Duas from Quran also. Transmitted Duas in Quran and Sunnah. Mm-hmm. A lot of Duas in the Quran also. You can books on that. There are books easily available so you can download that have collected all the Duas in Quran, in Arabic, in Urdu and English. Alright? Nawafil, extra Salah, and extra fasting. Okay? These are six of the main core Asghar that you will find in the Sunnah. Alright? In fact, if you will, when I said that category, Duas, I would call it, and we call it Al-Adiyah wal Azkar and Nabawiyah. So there's Duas, there are also Azkar. For example, the Prophet said to say, Subhanallah, he will be humbly, Subhanallah, a hundred times a day. So that you, not really a Dua, that's the Sunnah Dikr. You can say, Duas from the Quran and Sunnah, maybe just make a separate one if you want, number seven, then you can call it uh, Azkar from the Quran and Sunnah. Dua's from the Quran and Sunnah and Adhkar from the Quran and Sunnah. Alright. Then I will say an interesting thing that I also, from my more recent readings and meeting different ulama and mashayikh, a very interesting thing was told to me. And I've been thinking about that a lot and I'm not sure about it. So I'm going to share it with you, but I'm still not sure how I feel about this. And that was as follows. See, I mentioned seven things to you now. Right? Talawat al Quran, Istighfar, Zushrif, Inishalawat, Sunnah, Dawas from Quran and Sunnah, Azkar from the Sunnah, extra prayers and extra fasting. And the problem was that I told you that the person, the beginner, they actually do need the additional Azkar because the problem is they don't have the ability to do Mujahida and do these seven things. They don't have that level of focus and concentration to do these seven things. It's like a person. Okay, let me explain now. So then some ulama Masai actually did take the position that in the beginning, don't tell a person to do all seven of the, of the zikr from the Quran and Sunnah. Because they won't be able to do it. You're giving them too much, it's overload. Rather you should tell them very little of that, not zero, but very little of that, and make them do more of the additional zikr. So let me explain to you why they would say this. So let's go back to the example of a student. So there's a student, so there's a part of that. That everybody has to do, right? So there's required reading for the course. Now the problem is the student does not have good study skills. The student is not a good reader. So now what should I do? Should I give him extra readings in economics to do? Or should I put him in some type of training that makes him have better study skills? That makes him a better student? So this is the closest example I can show you. That's how they view the additional God. That this is the person who is saying, I can't remember Allah in my first salah. This is the person who is saying, I'm struggling to pray Fajr. This is the person who is finding difficult to remember Allah. And if I give him all these seven things to do, he's not going to be able to do it. I can, he'll write it down, so oh, this is so great. I found that the soul of today, that is according to Sri and Sunnah, all my questions have been cleared. He'll take it home. He's not going to be able to do it. He's not going to be able to do it because he's not strong enough. And then if you look back in history, the type of people who did all seven of these things every day, they were actually Salahim Mu'mini. 
They were much stronger than the type of people today who show up for Bea and show up in their Tathobos. The type of people today are much weaker. Right? So some shiuch, when they saw that, because it's not a 2017 song, it's been happening for some time. So what they said was, okay, look, we can't give them all of these things. So some of them would pick two, three of these seven. Mostly they would just say, Quran, Istighfar, and Dirtshik. And they would leave the other four. Right? They would leave the other four. And instead, like I told you, rather than giving them more readings and economics, tell them to do study skills training. Tell them to do focus, concentration, exercise. Tell them to learn time management. Do you see what I'm saying? Because it's only when they learn time management, discipline, focus, concentration, then they could be brought on the real path of zikr from the Quran and Sunnah. So that exercises, which are like the time management, focus, concentration, that's the additional zikr. Now you understand why sometimes that's because I also in the beginning be like, okay, why is there so much emphasis being given on this additional zikr? There's some of the people doing one hour of the additional zikr and they're doing ten minutes of Quran and ten minutes of istighfar. So the way these mashayas of Naqshiband and Chisim Ulama Dioband explain this, they use a very interesting concept of elad, of cure. And they said that this additional zikr is being done to cure a problem in the person. Just like the person would say, well, I want, to, I want to study economics and you're making me go for time management workshop. I want to study economics and you're making me go for study skills workshop. So I said, no, the study skills workshop and time management workshop is to cure you of some flaw and problem you have, which is <coughs> hampering your ability to study economics well. Right? And so therefore they would emphasize in the beginner the additional of God. And like I told you, they wouldn't want to leave out the Sunnah of God, so they would give it back. And then they would see, and they would track the person. So this also requires a lot of, you know, a lot of understanding. The Shaykh has to really be tracking the individual student. And the student has to be reporting to the Shaykh. And that's another problem in this day and age. Students don't report to the Shaykh about this. They write to the Shaykh about all types of life counseling, problems, do offer exams, do offer wife, do offer job, dreams. Every dream will be reported. The reporting reporting rate of dream is 100%. Yeah. And if they see a good dream, Allah Akbar, they'll write a commentary. Shut up. They'll mention the dream and they'll write commentary on their dream. Yeah. Allah Akbar. And they just want to to sign on the commentary. Huh? see. And this is another problem. Right? But in that, but there was a time in Hamza where this system worked. And then the student would report, and then the sheikh would see, okay, now, because, and alhamdulillah, these additional adhkar, or whatever we call mujarrab, they're tested. You know, we have a time-tested, proven data that this works. It would work. And they would see, now the person is getting better at ibadah. They're getting better at remembering Allah. They're getting better at focus. They're getting better at concentration. So then they were start adjusting the mix. Then it was like, now I want you to read half a juz of Qur'an before I told you a quarter juz of Qur'an. Now I want you to recite more salawat. I want you to recite more istighfar. They said, now next job is for you to pray tahajjud. So they went to tahajjud at the outset because he is not able to do it. Of course it's from the son of sanity, but this individual person in front of you cannot pray. Just, I say pray tahajjud. Tell I pray tahajjud from now on. It's not like that. Just, I, all I have to do is say it. He needs to be, get some training which makes him more strong spiritually so that he becomes regular in Tantra. I have to give him that training. So they would give that training through the additional zikr. You understand? 
قسم الان ها اولاد then another thing happened then again people became weak so they became so weak they couldn't even individually do the additional of God so then another thing because the shiuch were sincere they wanted somehow the people should be trained for the purpose of doing the real of Karbal so they said okay you're so weak you can't even do this light additional zikr individually group zikr group zikr so you're saying I don't even do that okay what you do you just come forget it come every day to me we'll do zikr together and he's not going to do right come every day I'll do zikr well, a group zikr. Now the intention was good in the beginning, right? The intention was not to overemphasize that, to prefer that, to privilege that. It was again to help. So, for example, like they, they again go back to say, let's do group study then. We're not able to do this on our own. Let's get together and study as a group. People do that because it helps them in their studies. So then they start doing group zikr, right? Um, but then what happened was because again the people were so weak that they basically just got hooked on the group zikr. And then that became the only zikr for some of them, the only zikr they could do. Now when the sheikh would see that, then he would say, okay, well, something is better than nothing. Right? So, okay, let's do more group zikr. Right? And then they started doing more group zikr. And then basically all zikr became group zikr. Not always, not all the time, but there were some elements like that also. Right? So remember, so then what happened was that sometimes, even when you sincerely use so many different means, sometimes in the end gets lost. Because the end was really the person should be strong enough to pray tajr on their own. Strong enough to recite Quran on their own. Strong enough to make these du'as from the Quran on their own. Strong enough to make the sunnah of God on their own. Strong enough to recite salawat on their own. Right? And now the training wasn't actually leading them to that. The training became a loop. Became a closed circuit. Became the means and the end both. Right? Still, even some Mashaikh, I, I, now this is all my own analysis, as you can tell now, I mean, I can't prove this stuff. But I feel that some of them probably saw that, because I think if I were to say, still, still something is better than nothing. If they're on a loop, at least they're staying in a circuit of being, in a circuit of ibadah. If I try to break this loop, they might go to ghafla, they might go to sin, they might do something else. Even this is a blessing, right? And that's kind of where we find ourselves today now, in 2017, Right? So that brings us to the concept of group zikr. Okay, now let me go back. So then, some, some if you if you are if you are listening carefully, the question you should have is, okay, Sheikh, now so what do we do? You just wrote us those seven things. You want us to do it or not? Right? <laughs> well, now we got confused. <laughs> we wrote it down. Quran is to fast, salawat, du'as from Quran, sunnah, sunnah, adhkar, extra nawafil, extra fasting. And now that you said we can't do it, we do it. We can't do it. What do you want us to do? Huh? You're confusing the day out of us now. Allah Akbar. Hmm? So this was really what was supposed to be the Rabbata. A person should really write to the Sheikh how much they're really able to, what's your current state? Maybe you're a new student, okay, what's your current state, what's your right, right, what's your state, what do you do? You came, you came from Finland today to become a student, what, what have you been doing in the past few months, years? What's your level? We look at that, we'll train you accordingly, right? We might give you a little bit of that, we might give you a little bit of additional zikr, then we'll see. Maybe you won't even go to do that, we'll have to see, right? So there has to be, like I said, now some flexibility in the way people are trained. Problem in that, now I will put it on me, is a very few sheikhs left to have the time to do such individual, customized training. Right? It's not easy. 
So I'll give you another example, Ali Raza, like personal fitness trainer. Hmm? Are you aware of that concept? Hmm? So, oh, right? Personal fitness trainer, right? So that's, but not everybody can afford a personal trainer who gives them an individual set of exercises and monitors them. Not everybody has time for that. So then it went back again that, okay, let me just buy an exercise book and whatever it says, I will do it. Right? So it keeps, it's sort of the whole range is there. So then sometimes you have to come back and give the set structured zikr. Because it's not so easy to always customize and individually guide everyone. Either you are thoroughly confused or you are somewhat confused. I managed to... Depends how long you've been with me. Huh? No, but... Okay? Alright. Now... So let me tell you the additional zikr. And so, it's, so, so I'm very open with you people. You know, I don't claim that I've designed the ultimate mix. But that all we can try to do is with ikhlas. And basically, no doubt that even my own, however many students they are, they're all different. But overall, they're pretty similar. And this is something, I think this is a barakah Allah Ta'ala gives, hidayah. It's part of the system of hidayah. That pretty much similar people get attracted to a type of shaykh. You will find that. Different two have different people. And that's a good thing, I actually think. Some people, they think, oh, this is because it's some cult sectarian. No, no. It's actually helpful. It's helpful if like-minded people get attracted to a shaykh. It's easier for the shaykh to guide them. And then maybe the general formula of the shaykh is more relevant for them because they're more similar people. And there's a group of people who are very different. Then the general formula for them would be different. Right? Okay. So the general formula is that I'm going to customize it for you. Now let me tell you the additional zikr. Okay? Additional zikr that we add uh, really is just actually two things. And the second thing is also really a zikr from the Quran and Sunnah, but not in its particular way, not the particular terminology. So the additional zikr is called muraqaba. Additional zikr is called zikr kalbi. The method of zikr kalbi is you make intention that your kalb, your spiritual heart, is making zikr of Allah's name. Now again, there are talks we have on the website that establish that there is some level of basis of this in Qur'an al Because in so many places in the Qur'an, Allah Ta'ala links zikr with kalb, zikr with kalb. Allah bi zikri Allahi tatma'inul kulub. So we know that the Qalb is the place of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But we don't know from the Quran what is the method to get your Qalb to start remembering Allah ta'ala. But then again we find something in Quran generally about zikr. Make zikr of the name of your Rabb. And the name of our Rabb is Allah. And so historically then there were Mashayah who used to teach that you should try to use your spiritual heart to make zikr of Allah's name. Alright? And then they gave that practice of zikr a label in Arabic called muraqaba. Now why did they give it the label muraqaba? They were basing it off another word in Quran. Allah Ta'ala says in Quran, Inna Allah ta'ala alaykum raqiba. That indeed Allah Ta'ala is raqib on you. Laqib means Allah is intensely vigilant, intensely aware of you. And so the niyyah in this zikr is to make zikr of Allah's name with your heart so much that you become intensely aware of Him. So when He is already intensely aware of you, 
and then you are intensely aware of him so the Arabic form for that is Mufa'ala for Janabin for two way so that's therefore called Muraqaba alright now that is one additional zikr second additional zikr they give it a term in Arabic called Wukufa Kalbi Wukufa Kalbi means that your heart should always be paused or stuck on the remembrance of Allah SWT so you should always try to remember Allah Taala. So this is also something we have explained many times in many ways on the website. And there's no real actually new element, new way I have to explain that for you today. Alright? So these are two additional adhkar. Alright? In the Tishri Sultana, there were some extra, some of their additional adhkar were additional tasbihat. Additional tasbihat and particularly the way they would combine them and sequence them. So for example, there is one zikr in the Jitsis Sunday called Duazda Tasbih. It literally means 12 tasbih, but it's actually 13. 13 times 100, 1300. Alright? My own understanding of that is that a lot of that is actually can be put in the category of Sunnah Asghar because most of those tasbihat are from the Sunnah. Just the number and sequence is something that is new. Right? And over time, the Shishtim Mishayik have waited. They don't give that initially. They would give a smaller amount of zikr first before they gave somebody the full 1300. So the general trend we see is to give a little zikr and see how the person does. Because if you give a person a little bit to do, there's more of a chance to do it. And if you write down these are nine things you have to do, so they will get uh, a little bit worried. Right? This is too much and this is beyond me and how am I going to do it? And then they end up not doing it. Okay? So, then, if we were to try and figure out what is the mix that we would give you. And I keep changing this, therefore those who are listening to me online or have heard me before you... But this is the thing that really depends on the person. really depends on their background. And so sometimes I may say something today that doesn't apply to everybody who's listening because they may actually have had more of a background and could do more. There might be somebody who's listening today who can't even do as much as I'm going to say they should do less. So this part is something that this is the latest thing I'm trying to cook up which I plan to release along with the reading list is plan to make some stages for you yourself to identify. So sometimes you will see that in the exercise that you download and they say, okay, if you have 15 minutes, this is what exercise you should do. And the person who has 30 minutes and can do it five times a day, this is what they should do. So at least each person can identify themselves without them having to write me a long email and waiting for my personal reply to them. Rather, I can because now, alhamdulillah, I do have some experience in this now. I can reasonably predict some general levels of people and maybe give two or three, not more than three levels I was thinking of making. And a person can see where they think they are. Right? And then start accordingly. So that is a bit more, I think I'm, I'm, I'm finalizing and then I want to show it to some of the shiuch and get their feedback and approval on that. Again, because I don't, I'm not a one-man show. Right? Uh, and inshallah, hopefully, by the end of this month, we would have had that opportunity for that review and we hopefully will send it to you all before Ramadan and some. Okay? Uh, Meanwhile, until then, if somebody says, you know, I mean, when you're, when you're free, like, mashallah, we are here now today and tomorrow, we should try to do all of nine of them, right? We should try to do all of it. 
especially when we when you go on Umrah or when you're sitting in Itikaf or you have a weekend free or you're come one or two days you've traveled for the sake of your deen and for Allah subhanahu wa so in this one or two days it's clear that we should try to do all of them alright now the only thing left about this and then you know when you people ask your questions then and then whatever more you want will, will be explained is I want to explain to you specifically something about Murakama okay there are different types of Murakama and those of you who are practicing it from before then yes, you would have to individually tell me what you were practicing before maybe a couple of years ago that you did well maybe, let's say for some reasons in the last one or two years you <coughs> dropped and then we will come up with a step-by-step way to try to bring you back to at least where you were because at least that's something we know that you can do it's established potential that you have because you were doing that alright? and another thing I found that a lot of the Mashaikh and Akshaban including Shaykh Raja Fazal used to teach another way of doing Rakhba which I'm going to show you right now which use the Subah or the Tasbih or the Rosary Bead but not to say the Zikr of Allah with your tongue you make it that your Qalb is saying it but you move the beads according to the number of times you repeat Allah's name so rather than telling you sit for 5 minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes Instead, we give you a number that you do zikr of Allah 300 times from your kalb. And the helpful in that is this help, the act of moving the beat helps you remain focused. Because in Alhamdulillah, we were able to tell a few of our students this, and they were writing us back that they found it very beneficial and helped them focus on the zikr of Allah, Allah by using the beads. Okay? So this is something that we would start to do on. So we would say that you start with 300 times, right? And you sit and basically 300 times You make niyat and you sit there And you make intention that your kalb is repeating Allah's name So now let me tell you a little bit again about Murakama In Murakama, as in any type of zikr There's one struggle that a person does Which is to focus on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala How can I make my heart focus and concentrate on Allah ta'ala So that I really am remembering Him And I have forgotten everything else before you can make that struggle, you have to be comfortable and regular. Two words. You have to be comfortable and regular in that way of zikr. So actually what happens first, before you even make the struggle to focus and concentrate on Allah's remembrance, you will first have to make a struggle to be comfortable and regular in that zikr. You can't make both struggles together. Right? So in Arabic we call the first one Al-Istiklal Fittaba In Urdu Mustakil Mizaji In English I'm calling it comfortable and regular <laughs> Comfortable and regular So how to make that struggle in Murakaba? So regular means you just have to do it It doesn't matter you feel something You can focus, you can concentrate You remember, your mind wanders It doesn't matter That's the second stage You were in the first stage of Murakaba. You just have to simply sit so in the first stage of Muraqaba, what does it mean? To sit with the niyyah That the heart of my ruh, my kalb Is repeating Allah's name And that's it After that I forgot Allah After that my mind wandered As long as you sat and remain seated After you sat and you made that intention And you remain seated What happens while you remain seated? You could remember Allah's name Your mind wandered, you fell asleep it doesn't matter to me. 
It all counts as Muraqabah You sit with that niyat and remain seated That's stage one of Muraqabah And you have to become good at that You have to become regular at that You have to be comfortable at that Such that then you write that Okay, if I can sit for 20 minutes like a rock Still as a rock, no problem for me Anytime you tell me I can sit It's not a problem for me anymore Now tell me how to focus on the remembrance of Allah when I'm sitting In the beginning it's going to be I can't sit, I start I get frustrated, I want to get up I look, I think only 2 minutes, 20 minutes have passed It's only 5 minutes I'm not able to sit, I'm missing it, I'm skipping it I'm delaying it So then keep struggling, keep struggling Just try to sit and be regular But like I said, using the tasbih will help you inshallah That'll be the first step in helping you to focus Right? But you might say I'm just moving the beads just like that As long as you sat and you moved the beads That's the beginning You're a work in progress, you're being trained You're at the start of your training At the start of your training you won't be able to do it properly That's why you're getting the training If you can do it properly at the outset you don't need the training hmm? Alright So this is called Muraqaba Muraqaba Another aspect that you could sit if you Think if you want when you start Is I'm sitting with the intention That my of my spiritual heart is repeating Allah's name and then you remember ayah from Quran فَذْكُرُونِي أَذْكُرْكُمْ Allah Ta'ala told me that if I remember him Allah would remember me So you can imagine Allah Ta'ala is remembering me By sending his nur in my heart But then just remain seated You say okay after that I forgot that Allah was sending his nur in my heart problem Just make the intention at the start And remain seated Alright And try then to use the tasbih And to make some zikr of Allah's name But again you won't move your tongue you will just make it that your kalb is making zikr of Allah's name Okay So this is explanation of the additional zikr called muraqaba Alright So Level 1 I will tell you now Of the mix And that is that you should The most entry level I mean I was really thinking because you know Sometimes I do get some students like in Pakistan Who come from very uh, Non-practicing backgrounds And they're very new to all this Right uh, so for some of them, I actually just tell them Pray five times a day <laughs> Right? First Fajr, just pray Fajr every day That's your zikr Right? But then I realized that some of them miss Fajr But actually they're willing during the rest of the day to do something And I told them, just pray Fajr Let me pray the five, but just make sure you fix your Fajr So okay, well he fixed it or he missed it But what are you supposed to do the rest of the day? So then I said, okay, I won't just tell them that I will tell them this as well Right? But that's an important thing And that's also something that will be in the write-up inshallah is that a major thing is to improve your faraiz ibadat right not just that you do additional zikr or you do the optional sunnah zikr but a big thing is to work on the first zikr and first zikr for us basically is recitation of Quran that sometimes you might go on hajj and sometimes you may have first fast of Ramadan but mostly it is the five times prayer so the five times prayer is a major thing and that we have given a lot of talks and workshops on improving your concentration in Salah. We hope one day to write that up in a better way. So five times prayer and this Nabawi Adkar and the additional zikr. So for starters then, what would be the mix? For starters, okay. For the Nabawi Adkar, I would say do one quarter juice Quran recitation. Hundred times istighfar. Hundred times salawat. And any one... Sunnah, zikr or sunnah, dua That day Something Anything from that category Okay Any one extra prayer 
Might be just two rakats, nafil, any time in the day. May not be tajib, may not be orbit. Any two extra rakats. Might be satul hajjah, might be satul istikhara, might be tahiyatul masjid, might be tahiyatul wudu, might be satul toba. Any two extra rakats. Okay? I wouldn't put the fasting for the beginners and 300 times ismzat of maraqaba. This is what I would put for the first level. Shall I repeat or you got it? Mohammed Atiyaz, repeat back to me. <coughs> recitation of one fourth of the Quran. Pure beginner. Mm. Yeah. A hundred times the Quran, a hundred times Salawat. <coughs> Anyone's mandal. Or a thicker. You might say Sabana, Bahamdi Salam, ten times. Any, Something. Okay. Any one extra Salam. Any, any two rakats, extra Salam. Okay? And three hundred times. Three hundred times. Maraqaba. Okay? Alright. Now when we go back to the hundred times salawat, there are many different formulas you can use. There's some longer ones, there's some shorter ones, whatever you feel you can use. If you're pressed for time, just say Salih that also counts. Very short, it will count. Hmm? You can say Allahumma Salih wa Sallam, Allahumma Salih wa Barak wa Sallam, that also counts. You can say longer Allahumma Salih ala Sayyidina Muhammad, ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa Barak wa Sallam. You can even say a longer one if you want. Right? You will find so many, mashallah, nice short collection compilations of salawat. Okay? Istighfar, you might just say astaghfirullah. If you're short for time, just say astaghfirullah. If you have more time and more feelings, say astaghfirullah, rabbi min kulli dhambi wa tubane. Or astaghfirullah nadi. Astaghfirullah nadi man nadi la ilaha illahu al hayyu kayyuma atubu ilay. Alright? And it's good to mix it up. This is what I was saying in the variety now. Don't stick to only one istighfar your whole life. They're different istighfar. Don't stick to only one dirutri for your whole life. They're different dirutri. So you get the barakah and blessings. It's also one goal of mine one day, inshallah. Other people have done it, but sometimes there might be a better way in terms of organization to compile it, or sometimes the hadith references aren't so good to gather all the istighfarat that are from the authentic sunnah and all the salawats from the authentic sunnah. Right? And that could be like a manual for you guys to pick from. Right? Uh, and in that, once we have that, then we would tell you you could even do one of the longer ones three, four times and then do a shorter one. Or maybe do one longer one because some of the longer ones are quite nice in terms of their meaning and the type of feeling they put in your heart. And it's nice to start with that and then once you have the feeling, then move to a shorter one. So the point is it's training. The purpose is to get the feeling. Do it in a way that gets you the feeling. If you're too rigid about the form, you might not get the reality because you get too obsessed with the form. So be flexible about the form and be firm about the reality. Alright? Okay? So that covered, like I told you, remember I told you later I will tell you about the amount and the words. So I think we covered it now. Tilawat, we did istighfar, salawat. I gave you one, this, what do I mean? One sunnah dua. One sunnah zikr. So there are different sunnah atkar, like I mentioned to you, subhanallah, this one, the different du'as of the Prophet. Pick something, some level. It shouldn't be absent. You can do more than one, but it shouldn't be absent. Any two rakats of any extra salah that you want, alright, and the muraqabah. Okay? The wukufa kalvi actually is something you can do all the time. Because that's not a zikr that you do separately. Wukufa kalvi basically means that you remember Allah while busy while working, while studying, while driving and that is something that we've mentioned to you many times before okay still 
Alright, since there's much, much more to the world of zikr, there's much more to tazkir than just zikr. So the things that we talked about last night, not having anger and envy, the things we will talk about tomorrow night, so these are also very important things. So if I was to add that for the beginner, you should have a fairly regular practice of listening to some beyond majalis, reading some beyond majalis, and trying to follow those teachings and guidelines in your life. Okay? That's also a very important thing. Alright. Now, then question is group zikr. So now you explain to us what exactly individual zikr we can do. Can we do group zikr? So actually, the mizaj means the temperament of these Alhamdulillah, the Mashaikh and Naqshaband and Chish from this Ulama Hindu band was they very little emphasis was put on group zikr. Very little emphasis was put on group zikr. Alright? At the same time, you will find it sometimes, you will find it occasionally, you will find it to some level. No doubt if you were if we were all living in the same city or once upon a time when there were many few in every city and town, then yes, it would be good to have a weekly majlis-zikr, and once a week, all friends get together and do some group zikr, and then also do some individual zikr, and then make some group dua, and make some individual dua. That would be a good thing to do. But in these countries, Norway, Finland, Switzerland, you don't have that opportunity, right? One option is that we do online, weekly, zikr session. I don't know. I can't bring myself to do that. I don't know why. Uh, although it's fine. It would be permissible. It was within the acceptable range. Right? But see, my worry is that people would only be regular with the online, weekly group zikr, and then they wouldn't, you know, make that effort to try to do their individual zikr. Alright? That said... If you want as individuals, maybe as husband and wife, or maybe as family, you want some group zikr to do, no problem. And even for group zikr, even just the things I told you, you can say, okay, let's sit and read Quran together. The wife is reading her own, you're reading her own, your own, but at least it's some group activity. You could maybe, if you want, make a stick far salawat as a group. But it shouldn't always be the case. You shouldn't think it's better to do it as a group than individually. All those checklist has to keep being there, right? No ihtimam, no tazam, etadal, etiyat. Right? Just remember these four words. And with that, there can be different levels of group zikr. Sometimes women ask that, you know, women get together and we have sisters gatherings. Can we do some group zikr together in that gathering? I've never actually taught women that they could do that or they should do that. But we've got several questions on this topic. I don't know, like I told you, I'm a bit hesitant, right? So what I would just say is you could do it occasionally, but not always. It should not be a feature of every group gathering that you do some zikr together, right? So occasional is safe. Always is also jive, but it's not safe. <laughs> Whenever you move into the always territory, there's always this, there's always this danger of etamam and iltizam, Right? So occasionally, if you want, you could do some group zikr. So for example, when we were waiting for the sound to be set up, those of you at the start, so that is a group zikr that all four Mashaik do, next to Mashaik, both have different types of group zikr that they call khatamat. And the essence is that you recite some Dirtrif Salawat, and recite some verse of Quran, and recite some Dirtrif Salawat. So maybe we'll put that also 
I don't know, the longer we make it, the less likely it is to be done before Ramadan. Yeah, but that could be something that people could sometimes practice, even individually, even sometimes in small groups, right? But generally, in our method of teaching, that is a little bit less emphasized. So then comes another question, that, okay, can I go to the group zikr of other gatherings, other sosnas then? But if in our group it's less emphasized, and can I go to this one's hadara, and that one's latifiya, and this one's reading of Kisida Buddha, and this one's recital of the Dalai Kharat? Again, it's permissible, right? I mean, as long as there's nothing in that, there's complete separation, segregation, no incorrect akida, no incorrect practice. But like I said, generally it's beneficial if you follow the method in the curriculum and the syllabus trained, that you are being trained under by your faith and that line of Messiah. Right? But, if you want to go occasionally on a social basis, that okay, maybe there are some of my friends there and I don't want them to feel that I'm in a different group and they're in a different group and they get together and I never come. So again, I would say occasionally. Okay? Maybe I should also explain my mean when I use the English word occasional, it means less than 50% of the time. Less than half the time is called occasional. Right? So if there's a group that they meet every week and they invite you every week, you might go once a month, once every two months, once every six weeks. That's what I mean by occasional. Alright? And then there are all types of things because some people also feel that they're more they feel that it's beneficial for them because if you ran something I told you earlier that you should do what works for you they feel, no, I need oral A-U-R-A-L I need to hear right? so okay, you can play recitation of Quran Talat of Quran right? you can maybe make some of these Adhkar, Istighfar, Salawat slightly, slightly loud yourself in your room if you want if this thing benefits you you can make Dua slightly loud to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if that benefits you alright? uh... And the only other thing I just caution about is that if we're invited and we attend these other gatherings, like I told you, some of these other contemporary groups are very much into molids and certain other things. That is not something that we believe is the better way. And so then it gets a bit awkward, right? Uh, because if you attend their weekly gathering occasionally, then they have the annual molids so that they expect you to be there, then you don't come, then they will raise the discussion, then it could end up in a debate, end up in an argument. So if you're able to have a comfortable space, uh, then you could do that. Alright? So, I've pretty much covered most of the questions that were sent. Certainly the ones that were on topic. Now I will pause, and we can take a small break, and this will literally be a small break. Maybe like just 10-15 minutes, so you can rest your mind. And you can write any additional questions also. Take it. So the men and women, you should write the additional questions. And take a 10-15 minute mental nap, we call it. And then we will have... Yeah, and then we'll meet in about 10-15 minutes, and then we'll continue, and we'll pray after at 6.45. Inshallah.